You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. My son turned 13 over the weekend, actually Thursday. So my oldest son, can you believe it? He's, his name's Caleb. He's 13. We have a teenager in our home. Pray for us. <laughs> the prayer, pray for us. Yes. <clears throat> I remember... Um, telling him a few months ago that he should be expecting changes in his body. You know, that talk. Your armpits are gonna smell, Caleb. <laughs> Things are just gonna get bigger all around. You're gonna feel awkward when you play tennis. Clumsy, whatever, you know. You're gonna grow hair in places that you didn't have hair before. <laughs> Remember those years? Some of you want to forget those years? And then emotionally, I'm telling him, you know, I'm just trying to stay connected because, you know, when they turn teenagers, all of a sudden, they don't say, I love you anymore. You know, they don't say, you know, I used to drop them off at school and it'd be like, see you, dad, love you. See you, son, love you. Nowadays, it's like, see you, dad. All right, pick you up later, you know, little man, whatever. And, and I'm trying to stay connected to him. So I've told him years ago, when he was actually about 10 or 11, I told him, Caleb, I am your man coach, right? Like, I'm going to be the one to help show you the way to godly manhood. You don't even know what that means right now. But I just want you to know. And I tell him this every year. I tell him this every time I get a chance to, where he's actually listening so that he'll, he'll actually wonder what that all, is all about. <laughs> so I'm, gonna, he, I'm here to help you become a man. So he, uh, one of the presents I got him was a book that I found on Amazon. And uh, I think it's a Christian writer. But anyway, the title of the book is called The Manual to Manhood, How to Cook the Perfect Steak, Change a Tire, impress a girl, and 97 other skills you need to survive. <laughs> I wonder if you like that book, right? When gro- I missed that one growing up. You know, I missed that one. I had to figure out how to do all that on my own. Um, but the point is that we all know there's more than 100 ways to grow into a mature person, or in this case, a mature man. And, and we all know that if Caleb and others like him are going to grow to maturity, part of being a man is knowing, just knowing how to do stuff, right? Part of knowing that you are growing and maturing is that you're learning life skills. So we're going to pick up this morning in the book of James. And I want us to remember that James, the half-brother of Jesus, who's writing this book this letter to uh, mostly Hebrew Christians in the Roman Empire. He, he, James is all about wanting to grow these believers up into spiritual maturity, into spiritual womanhood and manhood. And he wants to get them past infancy and past adolescence so that they grow up into what he uses the word perfect, which really is another word for complete, mature, men and women of God. And he writes this letter as an intensely practical presentation on what Christian maturity actually looks like. 
So he starts off in chapter one, so there's a little review for those of you who have been here for the past three weeks. For those of you who haven't, this is catching you up a little bit. James gives us a picture of what spiritual maturity actually looks like. In chapter one, he says, in essence, spiritual maturity is developed through, so if you're taking notes, all of you in flow, this is it. Spiritual maturity is developed through our response to suffering. That's chapter one of James. Like, you gotta know how to respond the right way to suffering if you're going to be spiritually mature. He says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And then in chapter two, he tells us that spiritual maturity is deepened through our response to the word of God. Like, you gotta know what to do with the word of God when it comes to you. Don't just listen to it, do what it says, chapter two. But now we come this morning to chapter three, and what we're gonna read is the longest expose in the Bible on the tongue, the power of our words. Here it is in James chapter three. He says, in essence, spiritual maturity, a critical sign of maturity, is your ability to manage your mouth, to control your tongue. In other words, One of the ways I can gauge whether or not you're spiritually mature, you're a spiritually godly man or woman, is to look at how you use your words. James argues that the mastery of your tongue is one of the clearest evidences that you are a whole person, a true and a maturing follower of Jesus. So tell the person next to you, master your tongue, or it will master you. Yeah. You, you learn to master your tongue and you will have made a big difference. You'd make, you would have taken a huge stride in mastering yourself. This is kind of what James tells us. And I'm going to take you a little bit here through the verses of this expose. It's really powerful and it's really convicting. So just put on your seatbelts a little bit and uh, don't, yeah, just let the, word, um, let the weight of God's word sit heavy on your soul today, all right? Because by the time it gets to the bottom, that I, my guess is that something in us will have changed and shifted, all right? So he says this, not many of you should presume to be teachers. You see, because in that day and age when in the time of, of the church's life, there were people in the congregations that were self-appointing themselves teachers, all right? They, back then, teaching was, um, it's not like it was today in terms of its value. Back then, teachers were like the, one of the highest respected positions you could hold. It carried, to be in the position of teacher carried with it honor and prestige and of extreme like value. So, you know, it was like any profession that we look at as valuable today, put teaching in there. The heroes of that day were the, the teachers. So, so James is seeing this situation unfold and he's saying, man, there's people among you that want to be teachers, but they don't want to be teachers for the right reasons. They're, they're in it for the prestige and the honor of the position, but they're not really teachers. So he says, don't presume to be teachers. And, and, and along with that, there were some people who were self-appointing themselves teachers of the church, but they were teaching the wrong thing. They were teaching false doctrine. Okay, so, so James tries to, to be real gracious with this, and he says, you shouldn't presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly and then he goes, we, I love how he's so inclusive, like, I don't, I'm not perfect either as a teacher, 
Remember, James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Yeah, I'm not perfect as a teacher. We all stumble in many ways, but those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect. Don't read sinless, perfect, but read mature. They're able to keep their whole body in check. Now, there's a whole lot in that verse. I'm not going to go into detail in explaining. I want to summarize what I think this verse is saying. I think this verse is saying that James is basically saying, we as teachers are not yet fully mature, and we all stumble as teachers. But that does not diminish the level of accountability to which we will be held before God. I think that's what he's saying. And in... He's implying that if we as teachers, and I'm talking, of course, as teachers, those who are in the community of faith that teach the word of God, like myself, if we take this seriously, then the impact of our growth as teachers and our maturing as teachers in the teaching office will allow the body of Christ to grow healthy as well. When the teachers are healthy, the body of Christ grows healthy, right? Now... Having said that, there's a whole lot more in this passage, but I want to move on to the real meat of this, okay? So tell the person next to you, listen up, listen up. The best is yet to come. Listen up. All right, ready? Okay. And by the way, let me just say something. The more engaged you are in listening to whoever's talking up here, teaching the Word of God, explaining the Word of God, the more engaged you are, um, it's okay to be vocal about it. So you can say amen. You can say preach it, pastor. You can say, pull the cover off that devil, pastor. (laughs) You can say, ouch. It's okay, all right? You can say it in Spanish. You can say it in Bisaya. You can say it in Tagalog. I give you the freedom to speak whatever language you want. Just be engaged, all right? Be engaged. Okay, all right, all right. So James here is not just now he shifts. He's like, we teachers are going to be held accountable. But he says, but wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Teachers and people in the position of teaching aren't the only ones who struggle and stumble with this issue. We all struggle and stumble in the area of our speech. I heard this statistic this past week. I don't know if it's true, but apparently the average person speaks 11 million words a year. Who would take the time to count that up, right? That's like, how do you do that? On average, and they say that on average, women, okay, women use, of that 11 million words a year, that women use every day 30,000 words on average. Okay, and then men use, on average, 20,000 words. So women, you know, you won that, that battle, okay? But see, this explains a lot. I'm about to give you some good marriage advice, those of you married in the room or want to be someday. Right? When you come home from work, guys, you've mostly exhausted all your 20,000 words. Isn't that right? So what do you want to do when you get home from work? The last thing I want to do is, I don't have any more words. I used up all my 20,000 words. And then your wife comes home, guess what? She got 10,000 words left in the tank. <laughs> and so she comes home, and all you hear, dude, is and then you just look at her like, and you want wives, you kind of want them to listen to you, but yeah, he, he's listening. He just ain't going to reflect anything back because there's no more words in the tank. <laughs> so the point is just uh, be gracious. 
be gracious, you know. Or guys, don't use up so many words. Reserve at least like, you know, 50 words for your wife, you know, when you get back home. Because if you choose those 50 words wisely, man, it could make the difference in how that evening goes. All right? Listen up. Words are plentiful and words are powerful. They can build up, encourage, motivate, inspire. They can be used for good and for positive change. But they can also be used for evil. They can hurt. They can harm. They can wound. They can have devastating impact on our soul. You know, we used to grow up with that saying, you know, uh, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me. Man, who came up with that lie, man? Because the truth is that Sticks and stones do break our bones, and words do hurt us, and all of us at some point in your journey through life have, have the scars on your soul to prove that words have in fact had a negative impact on you. James, it's like he remembers that verse from Proverbs that says the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit, whether that fruit is bitter fruit or whether it's good fruit, whether it's life-giving fruit or l- fruit that takes away and destroys life. So James is masterful, man. He comes up with these analogies. He's got six analogies to prove his point. The first one, the first two analogies he uses to, to, to inform us that your tongue, your words, your mouth have, has the power to direct, has the power to direct things. And he starts off by using the first two illustrations. He says, we put bits, or says, when we put bits of, into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, he says, we can turn the whole animal. So he uses the first illustration. It's a bit, right? But he says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. I love those illustrations, a bit in the mouth of a horse and a a rudder of a ship or a boat. Notice that these are two relatively small instruments compared to the larger vessel they control. Small but strong, invisible, nearly invisible, but hugely influential. That is a picture of your, your tongue. Small, seldomly recognized part of the body, but it packs a powerful punch. And it controls and it directs and it influences for better or for worse. And in, uh, I love the illustration because you, you, can, you can play this out a little bit. Both bit in the horse's mouth and rudder, the rudder of a ship must overcome opposing forces, right? The horse's bit still has to prevail over the wildness and the strength of the horse. The little rudder has to conquer the currents, the waves, the winds of the, wor- of the ocean of the lake in order to get where it's going. In the same way, the human tongue must also overcome something. You and I have to overcome the sinful nature that's in us, don't we? That's constantly trying to get us to use our tongue to dishonor God's name and nature. Like there are cir- circumstances around us that would um, cause us to say things that dishonor God. Sin within is constantly pressuring us. And if we don't learn to fight this thing, our mouths could get way, way out of control if they haven't already. That's why James is about to make a point. He says, man, no one can tame the tongue. 
Like, you're, no human power can do this. There's only one power strong enough. There's only one pilot, skipper, captain that can steer that boat. There's only one rider that can truly control the strength of that horse. There's only one person that can tame the tongue. His name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the beauty of this is that as, in, as destructive as the tongue can be, <laughs> as much as your mouth can get you into trouble, your mouth can also bring life to people and to situations. It can direct people towards a good way. How many of you have ever heard a, a piece of advice that, you know, months later or weeks later, maybe even years later, you said to yourself, man, I'm so glad I listened to that advice. The power of the tongue to direct you, the course of your life in a good way. So. James continues to reflect in some ways the book of Proverbs when it says the soothing tongue is the tree of life, but the perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Don't be fooled by the size of the tongue. This little body part brings tremendous blessing, but its power is disproportionate. So don't take it for granted. Don't take for granted your words. The tongue has the power to direct. And as much as it has the power to direct, it also has the power to, yeah, to destroy. He goes on, the tongue is a fire. Say fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Thanks, James. That was really encouraging, right? Whew. Then he goes, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, they're being tamed and have been tamed by human beings. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Two more illustrations James says I'm gonna use just in case you didn't get the first two. First two, bridle or bit and rudder. Second two, fire and poison. You know, when I was growing up, uh, we used to sing this song that came out of the, uh, the youth camps. It only takes a spark. You remember that song? Some of you are maybe too young for that. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. It makes you feel good, you know, like, and soon all those around will warm up to its glowing. But listen, man, we live in California. I don't know about you, but we live in a, in a, in a, in a state that is full of a history of forest fires. You know how most of those fires begin? Some crazy person is putting out a cigarette carelessly and little spark, boom, and this whole blaze takes place. So James is saying, man, your words, in the same way that a little spark can, can cause a, fo a whole forest fire, your words can start fires. Careless words, hurtful words, lies, gossip. Sometimes we mean those words, sometimes we don't. It doesn't matter. They're still going to have an effect that's negative if they're negative. You, you can become a verbal assassin using your words like poison, 
Or you can become a verbal arsonist. I didn't know. I just was trying to put the, I forgot. I just threw the cigarette on the ground. Not to say that some of you smoke, but if you do, God can deliver you from it. But listen, your words can either be like used to assassinate people or to set fires like an arsonist. And here's the thing about fires and harmful words. When they're allowed to grow unchecked, which they often do on social media, right? They burn and they bring untold destruction. And the more fuel that you give to that flame, the faster and farther it spreads. And the tragedy of nowadays, especially with all the social media going around, is you don't even need to be the one putting the fuel on the flame. You got thousands of other people that are right there ready and willing to take your critical words and put fuel to those words. And you don't have to do a thing. You don't even have to lift a finger. All you need to do is check your email, check your Facebook and Twitter feed, and there it is, online for all to see forever. That's right. Thank you, sis. She got what I was saying. Thanks, Cole. I wonder how many of you have had the experience, either you've been the one to use careless words, and those careless words destroyed your marriage, or destroyed your friendships, or your career, or your reputation, or your, your other relationships, or even people in the church. Man, I grew up in the Philippine, I grew up in a Filipino community, Christian community, and I watched words go around and round that were not really true words. And I watched people and leaders talk past each other and around each other instead of talking with each other and to each other, and then words get blown out of proportion and all of a sudden the church is divided and splitting up. And then we learned how to plant churches by, do, by actually hiving off another congregation in a bad way. I'm like, that's not the legacy we we'll want to leave as a Filipino community. No, I'm, no, I'm talking as a Filipino-American, grew up in the States and all that. I saw this happen. I went, what's going on with our community? Why do we do this to each other? Why do we use words? Why do we gossip? Why do we lie? And I don't understand it. And I know there's probably a good reason underneath it, but whatever the reason is, James addresses it head on and says, stop it. Watch this. The Bible indirectly or directly describes the potential damage the tongue can do when it refers to the tongue in these ways. It's wicked, it's deceitful, it's lying, it's perverse, it's filthy, it's corrupt, it's bitter, it's angry, it's crafty, it's flattering, it's slanderous, it's gossiping, it's backbiting, it's blaspheming, it's foolish, it's boasting. <gasps> It's murmuring, it's complaining, it's cursing, contentious, sensual, vile, tail-bearing, whispering, exaggerating. That's all in the Bible, directly or indirectly. Take a look at the list. See your tongue in there? Maybe in more than one place? So let me take a moment and give you some very practical advice and some very spiritual advice because we could talk about that whole list for a whole year. But I want to highlight a couple of places where hopefully is relevant to us, especially in our day and age. I mean, you know you need to not judge with your tongue or be judgmental. You know that you, know, you, know, you shouldn't lie. You shouldn't use sarcasm at the expense of others. You know you shouldn't use words inappropriately in general. But here are two places where I want to give you some practical, spiritual, pastoral advice. You ready? 
Say, yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Man, James, it already hurts. You're going to give me more, Pastor? Yeah, yeah, just for a few moment, minutes, all right? Just hang in there. So the first one is this. Stop yourself from using attack words. Sometimes when we use words as weapons, our goal is to actually hurt people. Usually, we're doing it in defense to protect ourselves. We feel threatened, so we hurt back. We know we wouldn't have the guts to actually throw a punch, so we use our words to throw the right cross and the uppercut when they're not looking, right? Sometimes we're trying to just get our point across because we've told them time and time again and they never listen, so I'm gonna use mean words to get my point across to you. Right, wives? <laughs> Did I get that one right, husbands? Okay, thought so. But sometimes it also works in reverse. Sometimes the attack is not full of words. Sometimes the attack is silent. It's stealthy. It's full of silence. It's called the silent treatment. You see, well, pastor, like, I don't want to say anything because I'm afraid that I'll say something that I'll regret later. Okay, I understand that. As long as you're not using that as an excuse to avoid the problem, which most of the time we are, and we're silent. Well, okay, I get it. But you know what? I'm not going to say anything just because it just takes time. It just takes time to heal it. Right? And... Sometimes time heals it, but most of the time, time delays the healing. Because when you've been hurt by words, sometimes only words, sometimes only words can heal it. And when you're silent, it's almost like a retaliation, isn't it? So it works both ways. The point is, God does not want us to use our words, or even our lack of words, as a weapon. He wants us to use our words to bless others. There's a very, very, very difficult um, teaching that Jesus gives on this matter. And he says something like, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And then he goes, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And you're like, are you kidding me? That's humanly impossible. Yeah, you need Jesus to get that done. What he's saying is, don't weaponize your words. Say, well, what if I'm on the receiving end of the, of the attack, pastor? What do I do? <laughs> do what Jesus said, right? Don't act in the same spirit as the attack. Because often we're trying to retaliate, often we're trying to react, and, and we act in the same spirit as the attack comes to us, right? right? So it comes hurt and angry and these bitter words come at us and then we retaliate with the same spirit and Jesus is saying, no, no, that's just gonna send you into a vicious cycle. You need to break the cycle. You need to act with the opposite spirit. Instead of cursing back, bless. Instead of responding with bitterness and hurt, respond with forgiveness. That's a tough one, man, I tell you. But the point is, stop using your mouth as weapons 
to attack others. The second piece of advice I want to give you is so simple. Stop yourself from gossip. There's this, um, this joke about these four preachers. You heard that one where these four preachers were sitting around at the table and they were feeling very burdened by all their um, weaknesses and stuff. And they're like, man, you know what? It would be really good for all of us four to just share our burdens and confess our faults to one another. You know, do what James says, right? Confess our faults to one another and, and just be vulnerable with one another. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. So the first guy, first pastor says, man, I've been struggling with lustful thoughts, man. Like, oh, yeah, right, right. The second guy goes, yeah, well, you know what? Me, I've been, I struggle with, um, I struggle with smoking. I smoke cigars to, to like, you know, to get unwound and to, to just deal with the stress and stuff. Wow, bro, okay, I feel you. And then the third guy goes, man, I struggle with road rage. Like sometimes I see these Asians driving. <laughs> you know, because you know, the stereotype of Asian, it's not true, it's not true, but you know. Yeah, sometimes I see these Asians and, and I just get filled with rage and I just, sometimes this other day I just almost ran this guy off the road. Confesses his sin, right? And then the fourth guy, he's like reluctant. They're like, how about you, how about you? He's like, I don't know. Like, come on, come on, we all shared. You know, we need to be vulnerable. He goes, yeah, well, all right, I'll share. He goes, Mike, I struggle with gossip, and I can hardly wait to get out of here. <laughs> so we live in a society, if you haven't noticed, that is like inundated with gossip, okay? Like, it's inundated with talk about other people that usually involves details, that aren't true or maybe they're half true. Like our world is full of this stuff, isn't it? Like it's a rumor mill, 24 seven, 360 degree gossip culture. And to make things worse, it's true, right? Like I, what they tell you in the parent-teacher meetings when, when they teach you about how to, how to coach your kids with social media. They tell you, man, don't put anything on social media that you're not willing to live with forever. Because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be there, immortalized in cyberspace forever. Somebody's going to be able to access that someday 50 years down the road. So be careful what you put on there, right? <laughs> and here's the thing about that. Because we live in it and we breathe it when we, you know, just everything that, that's around us, gossip and rumors and all that, sometimes... It has the effect on us that sometimes we don't even know when we're gossiping, right? Like, hey man, like we start talking about just other people in general and we don't intend to gossip, but then we leave and we go, was that gossip? I'm not sure. Was I, was I talking bad about, I don't know. So let me help us out here. Uh, Rick Warren gives a really good example, a very helpful um, definition of gossip. This is how you know when you're gossiping. Okay, it's a helpful example, watch. When we are talking about a situation with somebody who is neither part of the problem or part of the solution, then more than likely you're gossiping, right? Snap a photo of that, tweet that, take notes on it, whatever. put it in your back pocket for later because one day you're gonna be like, I just leave, you'll leave a conversation and be like, wait, did I, did I just gossip? I don't know. So pull the definition out. Was that person I was talking to part of the problem or the solution? And if not, you were probably gossiping. And you probably need to go back and set things right if you can. You know what I mean? That's just what integrity calls for. 
I mean, countless times in the past, I, used, I would leave these conversations and go, man, I just gossiped about somebody using really spiritual language. I said, hey, brother, we need to pray for so-and-so. Oh, yeah? Why? Because, well, let me tell you. Let's pray. So, and let me just caution you, the words to the intercessors, all right? <laughs> we love what you do, man, I'm telling you. But just be careful that, you know, things don't get out of hand in the prayer meeting and it doesn't become a gossip meeting, you know, and like couched in real spiritual language. Because if the person you're talking about is, or in part talking to, is neither part of the problem or the solution, then you're probably gossiping. There's another test I used to ask myself um, is that if I'm, in a, if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I'm about to talk to that person about another person, I ask myself, I don't do this perfectly, okay, so give me some grace. Um, is what I'm about to say, am I comfortable with that, the person I'm talking about hearing what I'm about to say right now about them? I ask myself that. Would I be comfortable allowing them to listen in on the conversation I'm about to have about them? If I'm not comfortable, more than likely, it's either gossip or moving quickly towards gossip. So stop gossiping. Stop gossiping. Because gossip has that uh, quality. You know, it's like uh, <clears throat> you say something, you put it out there, and all of a sudden it just starts to like spread. Like it has this unholy chain reaction, you know. <laughs> I mean, words in general have this unholy chain reaction, right? You come home from work, you start scolding your oldest son because he didn't do his chores or clean his room. Right? And then your son says, no, it was mom because she told me to do stuff and it distracted me. And then your wife comes in and says, why are you so overbearing? Why are you so da-da-da-da-da? And then, and then I go back to the son and you go, hey, so no, your responsibility. And then instead of going back to his mom, you go, he goes back to his sister and, his, and he says, why didn't you do this? You should have done your chores, da-da-da. And he just verbally, you know, attacks his sister. And then the, the sister doesn't know what to do with that. So she goes to the younger brother and she verbally attacks the younger brother. You can tell this never happens in my family, okay? So, and the younger brother has no one else to take it out on. So he kicks the dog. Like, you would have... It would have been better for you to just come home, go straight to the dog, and kick the dog. <laughs> the unholy chain reaction, man. It's crazy. The power of words to kill and destroy. Okay, so James is going, you got it, you got it. Okay, so watch this. So you think James is done, but he's just getting started, man. He, now he's about to go for the jugular, right? He's about to pull the cover completely off. And he says these words, he basically says in the next verse that your words not only have the power to destroy and not only the power to direct, but your words have the power to disclose your character. And he says, <laughs> in essence, your, your words, your conversations, your, your patterns of speech, they tell us a lot about you. They reveal who you are, whether you know it or not. He says, with the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Try that one on for size. Like, start praising God right now, and the next minute, start cussing. 
How does that feel? And James goes, this is what's really happening. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Like the highest privilege we have with our mouths is to praise God, right, with our lips. But how many of you have had that experience when you've come to church and then you've been praising God, man, I just got so inspired, and then you get in the car on a rainy day because it's been raining a lot, right, and you start driving on the freeway and all of a sudden somebody does something dumb on the freeway and the first thing that comes out of your mouth is like those Christian cuss words, right? You know, <laughs> holy moly, holy stinking moly, <laughs> holy guacamole. <laughs> you, want, you want a list of the, those are from uh, the comedian Tim Hawkins. He's got a list of Christian cuss words, really funny. But, but the point is, we're so inconsistent, right? We praise God one minute and the next minute, man, it's like we're bipolar. It's like we're verbal, verbally bipolar. One minute we're praising, oh God bless you, bless you, and the next minute it's like you, bleep, 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 you know, and it may not be that extreme, but listen, James is about to hit, hit the real issue right now. He says, why, why are we so inconsistent? Why is this? We actually praise God one minute, the next minute we're gossiping, we're lying, we're judging, we're manipulating, we're criticizing people with our words. He says, here's the reason. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So here it is. James says, you want to know why you use the your mouth so inconsistently the way you do? This is why. Consider the source. The source is what's the, that deepest part of your soul that the Bible calls the heart. That's the real source of why you use your mouth the way you do. There's something in the heart that is causing those words to well up. So he uses the last two analogies, a spring of water or a wellspring and a tree or a vine. And he basically says whatever's deep in the well is eventually gonna come out in the water. Whatever is in the tree is eventually gonna come out in the fruit. Okay, I get it, James. So you're saying that the real problem is not really our tongue, but that the real problem is deep within our soul. It's in our heart. And the heart of the matter is that it's really a matter of the heart. You say, oh man, pastor, I can't believe it. I can't believe I said those words. Man, it's just so unlike me to talk like that. No, it's not. No, it's not. In fact, it's exactly like you to talk like that. Because what's really down underneath is eventually gonna come out. And sometimes it just takes the right situation and the right person to trigger what's deeply inside the heart. And all of a sudden you're leaking your heart through your mouth. So let me give you an example. When you get angry and angry words come out of your mouth, why is that? Because there's anger and criticism in your heart, right? When depressing words come out of your mouth, it's probably because there's grief and sadness in your heart. When hypercritical, judgmental words come out of your mouth, 
It's more than likely, there's several layers to this, okay, that not only is your heart critical and judgmental, but underneath the critical spirit and judgmentalism, there's bitterness. And maybe even underneath the bitterness, there's some guilt and some shame. Got it? When you use words that are unfriendly, it's because your heart is hardened. When you use boastful or fearful words, it's because your heart is insecure. When you use filthy words, it's because your heart is impure. When you talk too much, it's because your heart is restless and unsettled. On the other hand, when you use encouraging words, that shows there's a heart full of happiness and joy. When you use gentle words, that shows there's a loving heart underneath that. When you use controlled words, it reveals that there's peace in the heart. That's a good time to say amen. So let me leave you with these two pieces of practical advice. I told you what not to do, now I'm gonna tell you a couple things to do, okay? First thing, because the problem really is in the heart, you gotta go get a new heart. Tell the person next to you, get a new heart. Get a new heart, yeah, that's it. I like your tongue most of the time, but get a new heart. New heart's really where it's at. Now, for those of you who don't know Christ, the way you get a new heart is you give your heart to Christ. You let him be in control of your soul fully, like driver's seat in control, right? That's how you begin getting a new heart because God wants to give you a new heart. That's the promise. It's Jesus who forgives our sin, cleanses our hearts from sin, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit to actually accomplish the renewal or the, what they call the regenerating of our soul. But you, it begins with a decision, okay? And, and I want to call some of you out on this because you can do religion your whole life and still not get a new heart. So, we're not calling you to a new religion. We're calling you to a new relationship with God, a deeper relationship with God that touches the depths of your heart where the real problem is. You want to get a control of your tongue? Start with the heart. Give your heart to Christ. Now, some of you have done that already. And so my second word of advice is really practical, okay? I've been actually practicing this lately. We live in a world so full of words that sometimes we need to learn how to be silent. So I'm gonna tell you, those of you who have had the experience of God regenerating your heart, how many of you know even though God regenerates it once, we, we need constant renewal, don't we? And we're still maturing in this process of taming our tongue. So one of the things you can do if you've already made that decision and said, Jesus, come into my heart, he's given you a new heart. But one of the things you can do is you can learn to practice, say, write this down, practice silence before God. Practice silence before God. Ever try that? It's hard when you live in a world that's full of noise. I like what the great preacher and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this. He, he wrote a commentary in the book of Romans and he says, when you realize what the law is truly saying to you, the result is that every mouth, this is right in the book of Romans, every mouth shall be stopped. 
And he goes on, he says, you were rendered speechless. And he says these words that stood out to me. He said, you're not a Christian unless you've been made speechless. He says, how do you know whether you are a Christian or not? It's that you have stopped talking. The trouble with the non-Christian, he says, is that the non-Christian goes on talking. Now, he's using these words to comment on a verse in Romans that basically says the law leaves us without excuse before God. Because when we have excuses, we're just talking. Oh, no, no, you don't get it, God. But the law leaves us without excuse. It shuts us up. And it's not until you've been shut up that you can truly become a Christian. Because what matters most is not what you say to God, it's what God, it's your ability to welcome what God says is true of you. And if he says you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And if he says I've come to save sinners, then he's come to save sinners, hallelujah. So backtracking a little bit, if you've given your life to Jesus, practice silence before God every day. One minute, two minutes, five minutes, I'm up to 20 minutes of silence before the Lord. And I just say to God, I say, God, I've done everything I can to change the parts in me, and I still am weak. So come and do in me in these moments of silence, come do in me what I cannot do for myself. He wants to do that for you. He wants to increase and deepen the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in you if you'd be willing to be silent before him. Try it. It might work. Put your hand on your heart. And let's pray together. Lord, our hand is on the real problem. Our hearts are impure. They're critical. They're angry. They're selfish, self-centered. Our hearts love to gossip because we love putting other people down to avoid the pain of facing what's really wrong with us. Our hearts are jealous. Our hearts are full of pride. And this morning, we just want to acknowledge that before you. James is right. And we let the the weight of that word rest upon us. But we also today can have a great hope because We agree, no one can tame the tongue, but we also agree that only you can. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit who came on the day of Pentecost in the form of tongues as as a flaming fire, would you purify our tongues? We say with the prophet Isaiah, woe is me, we are people of unclean lips. And our eyes have seen the Lord of glory. Holy, holy, holy. And then, Lord, we would position ourselves today in that place of being able to receive your grace like the prophet Isaiah did, where he took that, the tongs of fire from the coal on the altar and and touched Isaiah's lips. Lord, would you come and take, Lord, the fire of your presence, Lord, and touch our hearts so that what comes out of our hearts, Lord, would be nothing but blessing 
and encouragement and life-giving words and phrases and ideas and things, Lord, that will set the course of other people's lives in a good direction, in a wise direction, in a way that brings life to them and not death. Father, today we pray, come and change our hearts so that our words so that the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouths might be pleasing in your sight. We pray this, all of us, including me, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.